if they're using Gmail, they're using any other service, they see my face in the icon come up, they see my name there, and it's a familiar thing where it is coming from a person. I wanna make sure this reads like an email you would get from someone, not just like a marketing email. So I try to make sure that even though I am sending the email, it's not just the straight copy from the essay, they are getting something that reads like a note that they would get from a friend. This episode, I talked to Dan Runcy, who runs Trapital, which is a newsletter that breaks down the business of hip hop. He's really fun to talk to. We learn all about his favorite hip hop artists, specifically what indie creators can learn from the world of hip hop, and so much more. So let's dive in. Dan, welcome to the show. Nathan, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I want to dive right in. You have a love for specifically the business of hip hop, and I would love to hear from you where where that started, why, you know, why you care so much about the business side and uh, what brought you to this point? Yeah, for me, the love for the business of hip hop really started with loving hip hop. I was pretty early on with gravitating towards this culture and it was deeper than music. I mean, I remember at elementary school, I was really getting into different artists, who were the people that were making moves, but it was also the people that were making moves behind the scenes, right? I was very interested in the persona of someone like uh, Suge Knight or someone like uh, Puff Daddy and the people that were both being very deeply involved with what was happening, but pulling the strings and making things happen and all of the criticism and successes that both of those people achieved. And I think as I continue to grow up seeing what that was like, at the time, I never truly saw that as a career path for myself, but I was intrigued with it. So it was almost like a hobby and something I pursued and kept up and would always talk about with friends pretty much all through life. But it wasn't until, let's see, six, seven years ago, and this was when I was in business school, we were doing case studies on all different type of topics. And one of them that stuck out, we did this case study on Beyonce, she had just released this surprise album. No one had done albums, surprise albums like that at that particular time frame. And it was this huge marketing case study on how these things happened. And it was a case study that was done by Harvard Business School. It spread across to other schools. And that stuck out to me almost like a reminder, like, oh, hey, you know, like, this is something that is huge. And it stuck out for a few reasons. One, the topic, the subject matter. I've been a Beyonce fan since the Destiny's Child days. But second, it stuck out to me just how big of a deal that case study was, how it was from a business perspective. And there weren't that many articles or breakdowns that were talking about hip hop artists or artists in entertainment that were doing and making the same type of strategic moves that other industries were making and the type of jobs that I was working in and was planning to work in thereafter. So for me, it was really an opportunity to look at that. And that was how I had started doing some freelance writing on the side. Started a blog. It was a personal endeavor just to explore hobbies, my own interest topics. That snowballed into publications reaching out where I started writing for them. But then that snowballed again into writing for more and more reputable spots. And then eventually I saw where media was going. I saw hip hop's continued rise and said, you know, I have an interest for this. I clearly have some skills and an ability to convey these thoughts well. 
let's merge these two together and start a niche publication focused on the business of hip hop. And that's how Trapital was born. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm just imagining, you know, you in elementary school with the love of music, but then you're actually diving in like, you know, when, when something happens or when someone makes a move, you're diving into the story behind that. Are there any early ones that really stand out to you that, you know, of an artist making some move where you're like, wait, what, what was the deal there? Or that you were fascinated to hear every little detail about? The most fascinating one to me when I was that age was Master P. So I remember this was around the time where I was really starting to buy CDs and I bought a single of Make Him Say Uh. So okay. not even just the album, like the single that just had like one side and then maybe like a B-side album with it. And I played that single, I don't even know how many times. And that stuck out because Master P wasn't just a artist that had this record label behind him. His whole business model and how he went about just running and being so popular for that stretch in hip hop was so monumental for people across the entire country. He was putting out an album from him and his group every other week. And they did not go on tour at all during this stretch. They just monetized their ability to market extremely well, make sure that people knew that there was a style and a cover of what that No Limit album looked like. There was a distinctive sound. And to be honest, even if the music itself wasn't always the best, they mastered the art of branding. So when I think about that, Fast forwarding that 20 plus years now, when you hear all people in content talk about how, you know, it's better to be consistent. And sometimes that consistency may be more important than the quality. Master P is always one of the first people I think of with that. And that isn't necessarily a knock to him. It's just seeing how so many of those lessons from hip hop can translate to how media and content and so many things in the current world of the landscape operate. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think we've seen that, you know, all across the creator uh, ecosystem of people who show up consistently or really do it in a novel way. You know, like that's crazy to think of. Uh, I mean, that's almost the level of an author releasing a book every couple of weeks or, you know, every month of so many people, they go away for a long time and like, you know, two years later, they come back and like, this is my album. And he's like, no, like, this is the creative process. Like, let's go. And we're as much marketers as, as anything else. Um, what about on that side? Like, I, I think so many creators are stuck in this world of like, I am a creator. Like I, I, I make great art or over here. They're like, no, I'm a marketer. You know, I, I do business. And I feel like in hip hop, they just, hip hop artists merge that so well, right. Of saying no, the, the business and the art, they go hand in hand. Do you have any favorite examples of um, artists who have just done that really well? Yeah, I think with the best example, I always go back to, it's an easy example, but Jay-Z is still one of the best I've seen mm -hmm. that has done this so well. He's not only many people consider the greatest rapper of all time, but also the most successful business person. He was the first true billionaire to come from hip hop. So much of just how he learned from how the game worked for him, things didn't always go his way, whether it was how his early partnerships with Rockefeller or the people that he was working with at the time. There are plenty of things that went well, but plenty of things that he learned from. And then 
by how he was able to build future businesses like Rock Nation and the joint partnerships and the ventures he's able to make since then truly show the evolution of someone that has learned the craft, evolved, but has also incorporated so much of that into his lyrics. You hear different Jay-Z albums, there are snapshots in time for where his mindset was at that particular time frame. And that's always been the most interesting. I think a lot of this rubs off, or not necessarily rubs off, because I think it probably rubbed off the other way, but a lot of this um, you could see with Beyonce as well. I think in a lot of ways she was a bit earlier in some regard in terms of how she was focusing on certain things, whether it was the visual content of her work and having that incorporated, having the messaging come in there. Yeah, I really think of the two of them as people who both incorporated how they were changing their business strategy over time, how that shifted, how they went about creating their music and the actual content of their music. So it's a bit of this uh, flywheel type connection where people right. see what they want, right? So when you see them having a performance somewhere in, or filming a music video somewhere like the Louvre that they did a couple of years ago, it all stems from that same type of place and how they generally perceive themselves and how they want to operate in business, which has always been intriguing to me. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have, like, I always think of you as having a foot in two worlds, right? One of the business and, and of hip hop, and then the other in this like indie creator space of, you know, you building an audience, figuring out how to monetize it. Um, everything else. Before we dive into more of your story, I'd love to hear just some uh, some of your thoughts or observations on what indie creators, you know, anyone growing their newsletter can learn from the world of hip hop. This is one of the things I really enjoy about the work I do because there's so many things I'm reading or things I see, whether it's things that happened decades ago or things that are happening right now that are so relevant to this indie creator space. So right now I'm in this space where I am running a newsletter, running a podcast, and it's my job to help grow these things, but not just grow them in any particular type of way. How do I attract the right audience. So who's the persona? Who's the type of person that would be interested in Trapola content? How is this going to help them? What problem is it solving? And I think that a lot of artists think of themselves in that same way. They understand that there's a particular niche that they're trying to hit. And there are so many tools that they can use. In some ways, they're using a lot of the same tools that um, indie creators are using in order to help grow, right? So many artists have their email list. They have their community or super phone numbers that they're texting people. They have their social media. So they have their own funnels in terms of how they are attracting customers, attracting fans, and they funnel down to that type of perspective. Artists um, or indie creators rather need to do the same. One of the more popular visuals that I had drawn in a recent case study I'd written for Trapital was this funnel for Beyonce. I've, I've mentioned her a few times in this interview, yeah. but it's, it's relevant. It's, it's funnel of Beyonce of just how her big media appearances, whether it is a Super Bowl performance, an interview, her being in a big movie that makes a billion dollars like The Lion King, those are her top of funnel, right? And then how that helps spread awareness to where she can then sell products that are a bit more on the expensive side, like Ivy Park, and then at the furthest end down, how she can sell VIP concert tickets and other expensive experiences. 
I think that most indie creators also have their funnel where they're like, okay, how do I attract people to find out about me in the first place? And then after that, how do I have, or how can I get people to subscribe to my podcast, subscribe to my email list, some way that I have a bit more of a direct connection. And then how can I go about selling them certain products or services that can help my bottom line, but then can also help serve them. So, so many of those parallels run true. And I think that's how that's been reinforcing. And I think so much of that is applicable, especially in hip hop, because the artists themselves are multi-hyphenate. They are expanding in a bunch of different areas. And I think in hip hop specifically, there's a bit more of that hustle mentality that you see that makes them a bit likely to expand into different areas. Yeah, well, and I think that funnel makes a lot of sense. And, and just for an example, from what my funnel is, and I'd love to hear you know, some of you, like even this podcast, the clips that we're doing on social media, you know, the really short things to get out there, that is our top of funnel. It may not be the same level of, you know, appearing in Lion King, but that is the same. Like, I'm just going for awareness at that point. It's not even about trying to get the subscriber. It's people seeing like, you know, the, the clip pop up and then have a little bit of detail about um, art of newsletters that, or the things that I'm interested in. And then from there, after they see them a few times, then it's like, okay, well, I guess I should listen to the full episode, you know, and, and diving in, getting someone to a listener of the podcast. And then the next step would be the the newsletter list. And then in a previous life, that would be, you know, books and courses that would follow up next. For me, it, you know, in the current life, it's for them to start their own newsletter and, and build and grow that on ConvertKit. Um, so you're absolutely right. You have to think about, okay, what's the thing where I'm trying to get them from you know, having heard of Beyonce or having not heard of to having heard of Beyonce, having never heard of Nathan Berry to having heard of it, heard of him. And so I'd love to hear for you, you know, what's the, what's that top of the funnel and where does it break down from? I have no idea. Never heard of Trapital, never heard of Dan Runcie into like all the way through the, the business to, you know, you earning a living as a creator. Right. So the top of the funnel, that's the awareness piece. How can I get the people that are not aware of Trapital right now to realize that? So think about where are the type of places that people who would be interested in Trapital are probably spending the most time. So if you are interested in hip hop, whether you are someone that works directly in this music industry, you work tangentially connected to it in some way, or you're a general fan of it, you are probably going to be spending your time consuming a fair amount of media, whether that is through Twitter, through Instagram, through LinkedIn. And now there's enough of the core audience in those particular fields that are truly interested in hip hop that are that target core customer for Trapital that are reading tweets on Twitter, seeing people that they follow. So I use social media as my primary top of funnel. So if I am posting tweets on a regular basis, I know that there's certain things I want to cover in terms of topics. So I want to at least have something to say or a topic about some timely events that are happening right now in hip hop. Or I will also share some evergreen thoughts I may have about a topic that may just keep coming up in the business of hip hop. So that is my top of the funnel. I probably focus most on Twitter, but I try to follow that 80-20 rule where I have 80% of the focus in one particular social media app just to 
put my primary focus there so I'm not spread too thin, but also have a little bit of focus in the other areas so that if something takes off, I'm not completely left out of it. The further... Well, let's stay at top of the funnel for a second because you mentioned having things you know, on social media that are really relevant. So I, I see you, like when, when there's a, a breaking story developing, you know, like for example, one that you've been talking about a decent amount lately because it is it just happened in, the, you know, is Lil Wayne selling um, Young Money's Masters, you know, and that being such a, what, what was the number on that? A hundred million dollars? Yeah, it was a hundred million dollars. Um, so yeah, like dive into that for a second of taking something that's that just happened, you know, and how you're, you know, writing content, having your perspective on it to go out on Twitter. So when something like that timely happens in the news, there's normally a few things that'll happen. One, a bunch of people will start reaching out to me being like, hey, what's your thoughts on this? What's your <laughs> thoughts on this? And it's almost like a thing where, okay, if I have a ton of people reaching out, then this is something that many more people are probably going to be interested in what my opinion is on this. So I normally try to make sure that I'm not just reporting facts, I'm providing some other deep type of insight where it's thinking about something else that happened historically or thinking about how this impacts a broader trend. So that relates in two ways. One, um, Young Money was a imprint at a time of Cash Money, which was a record label that Birdman, who was a close friend and has had an on-off relationship with Lil Wayne at the time, had started back in the 90s, almost 30 years ago. And they had done a pretty landmark deal where they had able, they were able to maintain ownership of their masters. They were able to get a very lucrative distribution deal. So I knew all of those things happening. And I said, there is a narrative here about how this story connects to what just happened, because it's almost a reversal of what we've seen where a really good deal happened from the hip hop record label partnering with the, one of the biggest uh, music companies in the world. And then we just saw the opposite thing happen where Lil Wayne sold one of the valuable assets he had for a very cheap price relative to what we've seen in the marketplace. So there's that, but there's also this broader trend around ownership that we've seen and heard more about, especially in hip hop. More artists are being much more vocal about wanting to maintain their assets that they have, whether that's their sound recordings, which in most cases they're masters, or their publishing, so on and so forth, and not necessarily making a partnership with a record label. So being able to bring these thoughts together in a clear and concise way and posting and sharing insightful tweets helps offer some of that context that isn't necessarily there. Because this is also one of the reasons why I started Trapital. There was so much focus on the what that was happening. What happened? What is the biggest news that happened? But there was so much less talk about, okay, what does this mean? Is this a good deal? What are the other considerations? How does this fit into the broader landscape? What is the nuance? So being able to have clear and concise thoughts about that, whether that is a tweet, whether that is a Twitter thread or some other type of post, that then can get awareness with the people that are already following. That can be shared, retweeted, and so on and so forth. So because of the way that Twitter's algorithm works, it's also likely to find other people that would be interested in that type of story. And because of that, that then helped grow that overall funnel. That doesn't mean that all the people that liked or retweeted that are necessarily going 
to subscribe and become a email subscriber to Trapital, but similar to how you kind of shared with your newsletter, if they see that, they then see, okay, who is this person, Dan Runcy? Sounds like he has some strong opinions on this. They scroll through my feed. Oh, okay, he had something interesting to say about um, this deal that happened a couple weeks ago. He had something interesting to say about all these live stream music festivals. Okay, maybe a week later, you see another tweet of mine coming your timeline. And it's like, okay, now I've seen a couple of these. Let me go subscribe. And then maybe you know a week or so later, you see me say, hey, I'm gonna send out a newsletter, I'm gonna cover these topics, sign up here if you wanna get it, I'm gonna send it out later today. There, you sign up and then you start to see the email funnel, you could read a few of my past essays. And that's normally how it works for a lot of the people that end up subscribing. But I also know that there are people that are off of Twitter that I also need to be able to reach as well. So it's trying to use that similar type of mentality in other platforms. And I think that has served me pretty well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's two things that I heard in there that I wanna um, really highlight. One is the deep industry knowledge because so many people are saying like, oh, this happened. And then this other thing happened. And so as a creator, being able to tie that back and say, this happened and it's interesting because here's the whole backstory, here's the trend, you know, or here's how it's opposite of what happened in the past or here or the continuation of the trend. There's a lot of news, you know, news, headlines, we can have all of that. And what you're offering is insights. And that's, you know, what other people don't have the deep knowledge or the time or something like that. And so I think we're seeing that with newsletters all across the board where at first glance, glance we're saying like, okay, newsletter, you know, there people are highlighting the news part of it and saying, Hey, that's covered already. You know, the headlines are written. You just follow the right people on Twitter, you know, read CNN or whatever industry publication. And like, you know, you know what's going on and what all these newsletter creators are finding like you is that there's a whole group of people who say like, no, 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 I want, I want the narrative behind it. I want to know, the deep insights and there's quite a market for that. The other thing that you said that you're doing is in addition to, you know, as we're bridging that from top of the funnel into now subscribe to the newsletter, you're not just saying, um, you know, every, every week or every month, a tweet of like, Hey, make sure to subscribe. You're saying this story that you'd be interested in my take on this thing that just happened is going to be published, you know, three hours from now, later today, subscribe if you want to get that. Now, in most cases, they could go to your site and it'll be published there publicly. But having that specific call to action, you know, where you're like, oh, I, yeah, I want this thing that I know is coming soon um, is way stronger than just subscribe to my newsletter or some generic giveaway. Because then not only am I subscribing, which is goal number one, but two, now I'm waiting for an email from you. I'm like eagerly like, Dan said he was going to get it out today. Like, is, is, that, is that coming? You know, and that's such a great place to be in. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's so easy to just say, hey, subscribe. Hey, just subscribe or please subscribe to my newsletter. I really wanted to be able to make sure that I was offering some type of value. And even though that is value that they could get outside of subscribing to the email newsletter, it still provides that connection to be able to provide some type of lead, provide some type of incentive that they are like, hey, this is just the tip of the spear. That in many ways is how I treat that top of the funnel or how I'm communicating information in social media. This is the tip of the spear. It's enough for me to be able to use this format, but in order to really get the depth of it, that 
you can subscribe to the email list, you're able to get a bit more insights. And then it's a bit more of a relationship, right? If they're using Gmail, they're using any other service, they see my face in the icon come up, they see my name there. And it's a familiar thing where it's like, I'm intentionally using the name Dan Runcy that they're getting from and not coming from Trapital, because even though I am a you know, solo person plus a few freelancers running this, it is coming from a person. I want to make sure this reads like an email you would get from someone, not just like a marketing email. So I try to make sure that even though I am sending the email, it's not just the straight copy from right. the essay. They are getting something that reads like a note that they would get from a friend. It's a quite detailed note that has a lot of insights and comparisons, but it sounds very familiar. And that's intentional with the language and the text that I use with Trapital. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I have this friend, uh, Levi Allen, who's a filmmaker in, in British Columbia. And in his videos, he often said, like, he'll just start his videos and be like, hey, friends, you know, and he has, just has this like charming way of, you know, where you're immediately just feeling like, you know, oh, we are friends, you know, like <laughs> you're immediately in there instead of having this feeling of like, let me broadcast to all of my subscribers on YouTube or, you know, like dear masses out there. This is my proclamation. You know, it's just instead this like personal feeling. And, and so I love that about your work of like, yeah, yeah, I just have this friend named Dan who happens to know all the insights about the music industry and, and he just <laughs> drops them in my inbox every week. Right. And I think with that too, one of the things I try to intentionally do is make sure that the tone of Trapital comes across relatable. Mm -hmm. There is a way where this can be written with much less, I don't necessarily want to say flavor, but there's a way that this can be written where it doesn't have as much relatability to how hip hop actually is running, where you're just trying to come from it from this pure business perspective. So I want people to know that this is coming from a place where it understands the business, but it also understands the culture and the analogies and all those things, which make it a much more enjoyable and approachable read. Because I think a lot of us that are indie creators that are putting out content realize that we're just not in the business of trying to educate if we are trying to hold attention and there is an opportunity for the content that we're creating to be able to entertain or offer that value, it's in our interest to be able to do that. And I felt like there was enough about my tone and the comparisons and the way that I'm writing it that that can come across in an effective way. And that's been one of the things that I often get complimented on with the newsletter and the essay specifically. So that has also been an intentional part of Trapital's tone. Well, I think part of what I imagine it being is like that first HBR case study that you read, you know, uh, when going to business school being like, oh, wait, people care about the music business. Like I could, you know, I could write about that. It's almost like as if you were hanging out with the people who wrote that case study afterwards and they're like they wrote the official thing and like this is all of it and then it's that plus you know their take and like this didn't make it in to the the full thing or we had to stay very um you know i don't know proper official that sort of thing and so now when you're hanging out afterwards they're like oh but this was super interesting you know and so you're getting more of their opinions rather than just the the straight facts Right. And I think a lot of it came from those conversations I had with people and like how we would naturally talk about things. 
thinking about how, let's say I'm talking with a friend and we're talking about DoorDash's or Airbnb's IPO. We would we wouldn't necessarily be talking as if we are Wall Street Journal Wall Street right. Journal journalists that are breaking this down. We would probably be a bit more relatable than that, and that speaks a lot to how we communicate. And I think so much of that translates as well, whether we're talking about Lil Wayne selling Young Money's Masters or Beyonce partnering with Adidas or Rihanna doing a Fenty deal, so on and so forth. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, let's go further down the funnel. Um, so we've covered awareness and we have people in the newsletter list. Um, one thing that you've done is you started with a free newsletter and then you launched a paid newsletter back before paid newsletters were cool, you know, <laughs> and uh, um, and then you've actually later you shut it down and, and changed business models. And so I'd love to hear first what would let's just start with uh, what was attractive about a paid newsletter and and why you started down that path. Yeah, so I started and focused on the paid newsletter path originally because I was pretty focused that that was the best model for Trapital because it was what I had seen from other people doing this that was the most successful. So I was trying to, in many ways, replicate that. I saw what Ben Thompson had done with Stratechery and had actually talked to Ben Thompson, getting his take on how he had built this. And I said, okay, some of that I think relates, some of that I think doesn't relate. But I said, there are enough people that are interested in this culture and rising that even if I'm able to skim off, let's say 10% or however many of those people that end up subscribing to the email list to become paid subscribers, then that would serve me well. And then that would continue to help the business grow. So I think I was almost thinking about it from a wide net perspective where that paid product and this was something i was charging at the time was ten dollars a month a hundred dollars a year and it was essentially for freemium content i had the one deep dive essay that was going out to everyone weekly it was a free essay that i had written but then if you wanted the more timely updates on the most recent things that were happening in the business of hip-hop from the past 24 36 hours that was what I was sending in those um, updates later on in the week. And yeah. this product had attracted a fair amount of people in the music industry, outside of the music industry as well. It also attracted people that had just wanted to support me and see me be successful. And it's the type of model that could have worked. I didn't necessarily get that 10% of email subscribers I thought I was going to get. I ended up getting around 6%. So I was a little disappointed from the yield. But then I thought more broadly, there were a few challenges that I had with it. One, I was still in the early days of Trapital, and I really should have spent more time building the overall funnel, so really growing my overall top of funnel, as opposed to spending more time trying to convince the people that were already in that interest stage to committing to the product that I had that was at least the product that was at the bottom of my funnel, which was this paid membership to Trapital. And it was difficult because one, it required a tremendous amount of time to be able to offer what I had already committed to the people that were in the paid membership. And it wasn't necessarily monetizing Trapital itself to the best of its abilities. I realized that beyond just having people have an interest in hip hop, there was a super 
specific group and niche that could be super served well by what I was offering. They're the people that are working and making the decisions that are truly taking the business of hip hop to the next level. I'm writing about the types of deals that Drake has done and whether or not he should have considered other options. I'm talking about the type of partnerships that record labels have made with other um, live stream companies or other organizations. Over time, if you write enough and you do well, you're going to attract the people that are making those types of decisions to your newsletter. So there's a better way to serve that audience than offering just this general product that was reaching the wide net. And that's a product that can work. It clearly worked for a number of people. I think it could have worked even at a 6% yield with a much bigger net, but there are better ways to offer products that aren't necessarily annual commitments or subscriptions that can serve them, whether that is a consulting offering, whether that is a specific type of service or advisory or some other type of practice that you can. What I've done specifically with Trapital Since Pivoting is working more on a consulting and um, unique project basis where I'm helping different companies in a different type of ways help bring hip hop to the work that they're doing, whether that is helping with podcast, helping a podcast network and thinking through some development for some projects or helping different um, companies outside of hip hop, but in the electronics or the entertainment space, think about how best they can integrate and partner with hip hop artists. You're seeing so many people just seeing the type of deals that are happening. So by me using my newsletter as, or using my newsletter as a funnel to help reach those people, it then can attract the people that are working in these industries. And then by then it can easily start a conversation where we can explore other different types of business opportunities. So that's been the main way that I've done it. And I think there's plenty of ways to expand on this as well. I think there's an opportunity for courses. I think there's an opportunity for one-off or digital products that I can offer to help serve the true executives and the moguls and the people that are making those decisions at Trapital or that are reading Trapital. And for me, that is a better way both to monetize Trapital from a time perspective, which in many ways is my most valuable asset, but also from a value add perspective as well. So it was a lot of learning and building the plane as you're flying it, but I've definitely been humbled and appreciative of how much I've continued to grow and learn through this. Part of that comes from how much I've just tried to better understand the landscape, but also just came from doing it, realizing what doesn't work and quickly being able to iterate. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and the most important thing is that once you have someone's attention, there's a bunch of different ways that you can earn money from that. I, with paid newsletters early on, I've been pretty vocal about, hey, I don't think that they're necessarily the best. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with them. I just think that for a new creator or someone gaining traction, they may not be the best way to monetize the audience. So for example, David Perel, who was on the first episode of the show, uh, he's got an email list of 40,000 people. I think he could do a very successful paid newsletter. He's quite prolific. And instead he said, nope, I'm going to do what he calls the rite of passage, which is his you know, very expensive premium course. It's cohort based. He's heavily invested in these people. Um, I think the course is 2,500 or $3,000, uh, something like that. And it's generating millions of dollars uh, per launch of the course, you know, and and that's not to say that he couldn't also do a paid newsletter. He's just found that this is his monetization method that he wants to do and what works best for him. 
Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different options there. And so it's interesting to me that I guess two things in, in what you said, one that you chose consulting as the, the way that you most want to monetize right now. So I want to dive into that. Um, but before we do, what was the reason that you chose to shut down the paid newsletter and do consulting rather than keep the paid newsletter and add consulting? Um, why have, why go to one instead of, uh, two monetization methods? Time. Yeah. Time was the biggest thing for me. The way that I had structured the paid newsletter, the product that I was offering was something that required 20 plus hours a week in order to be able to create on a regular basis. And sure, the unit economics of it can work out if you have a large number of people, it's a zero marginal cost product, but it was still a large time for me to be able to do that where you just, I would have needed to have a very large number of people, not just to justify the cost, but also more to justify the opportunity cost of what else I could do with that time. So it was a tough bullet to bite, right? There was some traction and there was some Mm -hmm. recurring revenue that would have been there. And um, having paid subscribers consistently is a nice thing to have. Even the people that I know that are successful with paid products, it is nice to be able to have that. that there's a reason why so many uh, companies have been trying to figure out how best to create subscription models. But that said, one of the things that I think does make it a bit easier as a nimble and indie creator is that you can pivot and see when these things make the most sense. So for me, Offering the consulting was a way to be able to do a few things. One, if I look at that 20 hours of the week that I can now buy back, I can do better for myself if I am very selective with the type of projects I'm taking on, with the type of companies I'm taking that I'm working directly with. And thinking about it, not just in a way where you are renting out your time for money, which I do think can be the reality for a lot of consulting projects, but what is that deeper layer? How can the insights or connections or work that I'm doing further help either my context of Trapital that can be used in other um, stories and other um, work that I'm doing, or it could somehow help what, what, what I'm doing in the future in some other type of way. So I always try to think about that when I'm partnering with a company or when I'm working directly with, um, with the client whether it is on an advisory basis or it is on a specific project basis. So those are the things that have interested me. And I think I will continue to do it. The thing that I'm most interested in the future is what does that course, what does that digital product look like? Because I think there's a huge opportunity there with Trapital. And I think over time, there's a reality where I may pivot to doing more of that than I will of the, than I will of the consulting. I think the thing that may make it a bit Tricky though is that because of the type of work I'm doing, there are a pretty selective group of clients that would truly benefit from being able to um, partner with Trapital or partner with me specifically to work on a consulting project. There's so many of the insights from the weekly memos that I'm sending out that's like, hey, loved your thought on this. Can we talk sometime? It would be great to get your thoughts. And that's how these relationships start. But there are only so many CEOs of these companies that can work in this particular type of way. So if you're building a product and you have a very specific type of customer base, consulting in a lot of ways does become quite attractive or having some other type of service where you know that there are a very few number of stakeholders that are in this sweet spot, but 
these are deep corporations that have deep pockets in many ways the best way to be able to partner and work with them would be to have some type of consulting agreement whether that is purely for cash whether it involves equity or some other type of revenue share for whatever the deal may be but that said just given how many people in this space are thinking about their own personal growth their own personal brands and how they can continue to grow i think there's a great opportunity for that digital product and the course in a company where Trapital is heading. And that excites me too. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I want to get into some specific numbers. Um, and so feel free to answer or not answer any part of it. I'm going to ask three together so you can choose whether to answer all three of them or, you know, dive in on, on just one. Uh, the first is I'd love to hear numbers of, you know, how big you were able to grow the Trapital audience to, um, you know, on just the free subscriber side, you mentioned the 6% free to paid conversion rate. And so just getting into the, what the MRR was when you shut it down. And then the third one is I'd love to just hear how you structure consulting deals or these $10,000 consulting projects or these $100,000 consulting projects, you know, um, how you go from there. Yeah, so the newsletter itself right now, over 7,000 people subscribed to the email list and when I had shut down the paid newsletter itself, there were, to be honest, I forget the exact number, but I want to say maybe it was around like 220, 230 people or so that were paying either $10 a month or $100 a year. So it was somewhere between like twenty-two dollars to $25,000 in monthly recurring revenue. So, I mean, that was me doing the math of that to be like, okay, this is what I'm, you know, at least at this current stage, putting 20 hours a week into to be able to, you know, continue to um, ultimately get that type of revenue. Of course, it can grow, but it can't grow until I have more time to be able to help grow that overall base. So that was a big um, piece of the uh, decision there in terms of yeah, so why about, I did that. So 2200 to 2500 a month in recurring revenue from the, from the newsletter. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a solid baseline for, you know, like as an indie creator, having that coming in consistently, you know, is really nice. That's all of rent in some cities, you know, two thirds of rent in in other cities. (laughs) It doesn't cut into San Francisco, which (laughs) is where I live now. So, I mean, luckily I was able to, you know, I I saved up some money before I started Trapital or not before I started Trapital, but before I started working on it full time, because I said, you know, there's probably going to be some um, trial and error and I need to have a bit of comfort there. So it wasn't all the money that I was living on, thankfully. But I realized that, you know, there's a timeline for everything and I needed to make some changes and make some pivots there. So in terms of the type of projects that I have right now, it that I take on for consulting, it truly depends. I mean, I, I think for the most part, the main way that I've gone about it, so the main standard is let's do a three and a half month engagement where I am giving an overall assessment on what the best path of strategy should be. So this is me working much more on the strategy side more than the implementation side of things. Mm-hmm. So if you think about how a Trapital article or how a Trapital newsletter is typically written, there is my take, my insights on what's happening with a particular company. So if someone reads that, they're like, hey, we would love something like this and even more in depth for what you think we should do moving forward. That 3.5 months of work would include the um, 
analysis. It would include the interviews, the research to understand what makes most sense for this company, and then being able to provide overall recommendations, next steps moving forward, and so on. So it really depends on the company because in some cases it is straight cash and other cases it's you know revenue share or derivative rights or if there is something um if there's a partnership related to the future content that we're creating in other aspects i've become an advisor for companies and getting equity in exchange for that so it's definitely varied based on the deal so i think for people that are listening to this it's probably best helpful to think okay where are the places that you want to be able to serve and for me there was interest in being able to do all of those things whether it was working for the big fortune 500 companies or working for the startups and just knowing that the type of deal or the type of structure you have in place for a startup may not necessarily make sense for a big firm. If you're working for a big firm, that three and a half month strategic advice works much for, you know, uh, um, for some five-figure amount of money makes much more sense than a startup where equity makes more sense for several reasons. One, they probably don't have the cash to pay that. And secondly, where they are from a company isn't necessarily someone coming in with some big strategy deck or some analysis to be able to suggest things. They want someone that they can reach out to. And hopefully if you become more of a trusted and supportive advisor, um, that's always a running joke. Not every, you know, not every advisor is necessarily worthwhile as, as they are, but if you become one of the worthwhile ones, then great, great for you. And hopefully that can work out well if there's an exit for the company in the future. So the flexibility has worked out well. And I think that's what I'll continue to do moving forward. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you're just able to, to tailor it to each each business and each conversation. Let's talk about the rise of newsletters. You know, we've seen, um, obviously you've been doing it for, for quite a while. Uh, you run your newsletter on ConvertKit. Um, there's all kinds of things. Email's been around for a long time, but over the last three years, but even the last like 12 to 18 months, we've just seen newsletters take off like crazy. Um, I was joking with Barrett, our COO at ConvertKit, that like seems like half the people that follow us on Twitter, you know, have a Substack in their in their Twitter bio and that sort of thing. And it's just a level. Whereas twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, if you were like, oh, you know, I'm a newsletter creator, people would be like, where's your startup? You know, where's <laughs> you know? But now, if you say that, they're like, yeah, me too. You know, and every, everybody is. And so I'd love just hear your take both on on platforms and then maybe before that, get into the um, you know, just the, the most recent wave of an excitement around newsletters. Right. I think I came in just before this wave truly kicked off because I had started, at least I had the idea for Trapital and knowing that I wanted this to be delivered through email towards the end of 2017, because I started Trapital um, in spring of 2018. And then I started working on it full time um, a year later. But yeah, so that, as you mentioned, yeah, 18 months, 12 months ago was when things really took off. So I think I kind of came in just b before that. But I think that for me, the the platforms tell a big story because I do think that where people have chosen to start their newsletters have said a lot about the brand and the identity of what the newsletter wave is, what it means, and where things are necessarily going. I think what's worked out well, I think Substack has been one of the main companies involved with the wave. 
I had Trapital on the Substack for the first year that it that that it existed. And funny enough, I found out about Substack by typing into Google is there a platform out there where I can have my blog post combined with my email list? Because at the time, I was looking for something that was very easy at, at the time. I knew that this was a pilot that I wanted to test out with Trapital. I wanted to see what this was like, and I wanted the tech to be as low and as easy as possible. And ended up talking to the founders that work at Substack, both great guys, Hamish and Chris, and was able to at least help me get ramped up and really think through how the deliverability and audience for something like Trapital could work. What I think later on happened though is just given the ease of Substack and how it was built, it worked in a way that because it was very easy and out of the box to use, it attracted a lot of the people that were like, oh, well, I have the content. I have you know, tens of thousands of Twitter followers. Let me find a way to monetize this content because if I can follow the best case scenarios of a Ben Thompson or, a, um, or some of the other people that are doing quite well, then I can monetize 10% of that audience by that I could hopefully come on and subscribe to my newsletter. So I think it performed and got caught on quite well with tech audiences that were seeing what was happening. And just because of how popular tech Twitter and VC Twitter is, it was able to help the spread of a lot of those things quite well. What I think differs though, and this is these are conversations I've had with people, conversations I've had with um, Hamish and Chris at Substack and also other creators is that what Substack offers is great in that it's a very quick out of the box tool that lets you as the creator focus primarily on the content you're doing. What I think is a little different though is that one, they are very much focused on having people start paid newsletters. And I think it can work out great. As I mentioned, it wasn't the path I wanted to go, but I think it can work out well from that perspective. So it's very easy to turn on. And in many ways, it's almost like how Amazon could work if you're a seller from a marketplace. It is very easy to sell your products, right? However, if you want something that's a bit more bespoke, something that is a bit more customized for your audience and you want to be able to be a bit more flexible almost in the way that Shopify or some of these other platforms are for sellers that want to have something, you may want to move your newsletter off of that and just have something where you can customize the website, you can offer products or services that aren't directly tied to having a paid newsletter or freemium content. and. More importantly, you can segment and see those audiences, see that audience in different areas. I knew that that valuable information and having that customization was going to be important for me. So it was worth the switching cost, I'll call it, in order to switch. And as you know, I'm now on ConvertKit. I've been on ConvertKit now for, say, a year and a half. And yeah, I mean, I think like anything, it took a bit of getting used to this would have been a but it would have been a much tougher switch for me if i had made the switch to or if i had made the switch to convert kit earlier if i'd started on convert kit because i didn't feel like i had it tested out i was very new to this i didn't even know how to create a website or any of the things that i would have needed to know how to do before this but i do think that you're seeing a lot of people that will also kind of do what I did, where they'll start on Substack, get an initial following base there, and then they may move off of it. 
or you see people that have stayed on Substack and you know continue to do quite well for themselves. And I know there's a bunch of other platforms like Ghost is coming up mm-hmm. and getting more popular. Mailchimp, of course, has been around for uh, decades plus now and doing um, still you know one of the top players in the space. So. I think that the wave is probably going to continue for some time. I think just to bring it all back, this is something we've seen outside of writing and this type of content as well with some of these paid podcast platforms that have come up or products like OnlyFans, which is essentially like a paywall for Instagram. These types of things are coming up that are allowing creators to monetize their work in more individual ways. And I think that's probably the overall way that interests me. So the optionality of this, I think, is great. But I do think it's important for creators to think, okay, where am I in the process? How do I think about this from like that MVP perspective to be able to grow the product? And if I'm thinking about that, what makes most sense? And I think for me, my journey did work out pretty well with it so far. Yeah, I like to imagine that in your ConvertKit account, you have a segment for like um, just music executives, you know, and it's like just this group of people. And you're like, those those are people. Here's the whole audience, you know, and you can break it down in so many different ways that you're right. You can't do on, you know, a ghost or a Substack or something that's more built for broader publishing. But then at the same time, from the, the difficulty or the setup side, right, you have to have WordPress, you know, and, and do your publishing you know, and then the email through ConvertKit. So there's a lot of trade-offs, but I think it makes sense that um, this trend that we're seeing of people starting on Substack and then getting that level of traction and either seeing the payment cost or wanting an API or wanting flexibility or segmentation or reporting, and then saying, like, okay, it's time to graduate from Substack to uh, kind of the next level. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that let's say that if you are, if your goal is to, you have a large following and you want to monetize that following on the side from everything else that you're doing, something like Substack can work out quite well. Obviously, other platforms can do a lot of those same things too, but the quick plug and play aspects of it can work out quite well. But I knew for me, I wanted to do something a little different. I truly wanted to build a company that in many ways stood for things beyond just monetizing the audience I had. I didn't have an audience before I started Trapital, so I didn't come into it from that perspective. It's something that I'm still building now. So being able to have that as a home base was a reminder of where I wanted to take things, but also a uh, I guess a stake in the road in terms of where I wanted to make sure that the company was heading and being willing to make certain trade-offs when the time was right. Yep. That makes sense. Well, thanks for joining me today. It's been really fun to dive into your newsletter and the world of hip hop. Um, where should people go to subscribe? So people want to learn more about this, go to trapital.co. That's the website. So that's T R A P I T A L.co sign up and subscribe. I send a newsletter out every Monday. I call it the weekly memo, and this is the weekly breakdown of the business of hip hop. So you want to get all of the latest insights, whether it is what's happening with the latest artists partnering with the company, a master's deal that's happening, or just a wave of partnerships or deals that are happening that are even tangentially outside of hip hop, but are still related to the people that are operating in this space, it's most likely going to get covered there. So you can check it out. Sounds good. And also I just say everyone should follow you on Twitter. Just run see Dan on Twitter. Um, yeah, you're one of my favorite Twitter follows. So thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 